0: The Betfair Exchange. More ways to bet, more ways to win
2: proud sponsors of the final furlong podcast
1: the final furlong podcast is brought to you in association with at the races.com complete with race cards stable tours and tips from our top team visit at the races.com racing's leading website today
0: welcome to the show I'm Emma Kennedy great to have you with us Kate Tracy and Ryan McHugh from the Better Exchange will join me to look back on the weekends racing a little bit later on we'll be discussing a couple of nice winners for Rory Delargy and Tom Bull and their prospects going forward also we'll be talking about the story that has rocked racing the resignation of delia bushel that to come a little bit later on in the show, and some winners to watch out for as well. First of all, though, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined for the first time on the show by champion jockey, Oshin Murphy. Welcome to the Final Furlong Podcast, Oshin.
2: Hi, MS. Great to be on. Uh, we should have some plenty to talk about, and hopefully everyone will find it interesting.
0: Well said, and uh, it's great to have you on the show. Um, busy day for you yesterday, uh, a hat trick. Uh, well done. Uh, also, you were just writing out work today, but... Uh, I would love to be talking to you under better circumstances, but this came about during the week when we were chatting. Um, unfortunately, the ban is going to kick in Monday week. Uh, this is a, a seven-day ban, which you received at air. We've talked about it off air. I've already stated this, that I feel you were very hard done by, and I said that on, on the Tweet Machine as well. Can you take us back to that to that moment? We've all seen it, but can you take us back to it and, and talk to us about it in your own words, about what happened and what transpired?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I was riding in a seven-runner race, pretty straightforward. I was on the best horse and uh, kind of sat in behind the leaders. She was hanging under pressure from about two and a half furlongs out, but uh, the race was always in safe keeping. I had you know plenty of horse, and basically uh, I didn't ever go for my stick, and the horse just hung left, probably two and a half horse widths uh, in total and uh, the horse who I thought I was well clear of uh, was interfered with. Uh, Initially, um, my horse lugged left, so he was carried a little bit left. Actually, I don't know if it was a male or female horse, but Paul Melran was carried a little bit left, and then Paul uh, angled right uh, to get clear running um, across my heels, and he actually clipped my heels. Um, I and had my horse, my horse's head turned to the right and actually pulled a bit through its mouth. Uh, but the Stuarts on the day didn't feel I did enough and unfortunately I wasn't aware uh, Paul was kind of in reach of my heels or that I had caused any interference until after I crossed the line. So, uh, you know, having gone up to air to ride to normal races, uh, I certainly didn't want to pick up any suspension, not to mind one that will rule me out of a very big week of racing. Uh, It's frustrating, very frustrating, and obviously I had intended on appealing, but it was made very clear to me that once a a jockey behind Clip's heels and the chances of a BHA disciplinary panel seeing my point of view and the fact that really, uh, in my opinion, the interference was completely accidental, was unlikely, uh, so I had to take it on the chin.
0: There's been a lot of talk about interference rules recently, and I've learned more about race riding in the last month than I have in the last 20 years. I would say. <laughs> Danny Mullins was on the show in the the preview to to Galway, and full disclosure, right? I talked about the Rab Havilland incident which yep. couldn't have come at a worse time for Rab, given that uh, articles had been written about interference rules at that time. And and when I saw that incident initially, I thought Rab was wrong. And I thought he was, to be honest, I thought he was quite cheeky to be saying, I'm going to appeal that having watched it back, having been given a 10-day ban. I was wrong. Yes. I was wrong. Uh, and I hold my hands up, and I've said that on the show as well. Uh, Danny Mullins yep. explained the, the rules, and... He initially, without knowing anything of my view of Rab Havland, said that Rab had been very harshly treated by the media. Um, he did know what it said, sorry, and he was having a go at me, and he was right to. Uh, he said that the media had treated him very harshly and that he was right to appeal. And of course he did, and his appeal was upheld. So he was right, I was wrong, and that made me want to learn more about it. Yeah, I understand that when you look at the visual of, of something like that, you can react in the moment and and you can become enraged but at the same time we have to accept the fact that jockeys are not riding formula 1 cars. Yeah. You don't have wing mirrors and your horse has a mind of its own and that horse will will do things that you don't necessarily want the horse to do. So you were talking about pulling the bit through your horse's mouth can you just expand on the importance of that because an awful lot of the coverage goes to the use of the pro kush and uh, and, and steering horse but when you're pulling the bit through a horse's mouth what does that mean
2: well basically the you know if the bit is fitted correctly uh, unless the horse is really hanging uh, you will not move the bit all the way through its mouth uh Uh, So basically, a a normal bit is is about five centimetres long and there's uh, two rings either side, whether that be a normal snaffle or a ring bit. Uh, And obviously, that stops the bit moving, if that makes sense. And my horse at air uh, had been hanging for a period of time, so I actually managed to manoeuvre the bit all the way through its mouth. Uh, There's a photo on the winning line of that. Proves that, um, basically, I had sufficient warning that the horse was hanging. So, you know, I I felt I had done everything in my power to keep the horse straight. Now, I was people have asked the general public in particular have asked why didn't I pull my stick through to the other hand? Well, I didn't use my stick at all, uh, mm. and to pull it through to the other hand where the horse, you know, to in order to strain the horse, I would have to loosen the grip with the right rein, uh, which would allow the horse to fall in further. Uh, so that answers that one in the Rab Havlin case uh, the horse ran straight for a couple of smacks and actually it was only after one particular smack the horse shifted in about half a horse width and that was enough to cause the two horses on the inside to uh, be tightened up and squeezed up and then obviously it looked terrible but I was I, along with you um, can see now that a riding offence wasn't committed Uh often then you can hit a horse or, you know, give a horse a smack and he moves sharply in one direction and you hit him again, uh, which causes him to go further in that direction. But there was nobody behind you. uh, So no, there was no interference. But that is poor riding and and the Stuarts obviously uh, don't look into that at all because there was no riding offence committed. But, you know, there could have been. It's just very frustrating sometimes that, uh, you know, as a rider who went a long time without picking up suspension then this comes about and i've i've been slapped with a really hefty one
0: yeah a very hefty one while you're in the middle of trying to retain your champion jockey crown which you know could be jeopardized by the fact that you're going to be sidelined for a week and you don't have the right to appeal based on the fact that the pga have told you because of clipping heels with that in mind paul mulrennan did you know Paul was going to make that move? Did you know he was still there? Because Danny was mm. was talking to us about how and particularly with no crowds that jockeys do hear each other now. That that if you know if a jockey is that fair to say in a race that if a jockey was to yell at you, you will hear that jockey.
2: Absolutely and and I would react I and mean, riding down south in particular uh you know, the likes of Andrea and I, particularly on sharp tracks like Windsor and that, where uh, it can get quite tight. We would shout at each other just to let, let, uh, everyone know where we are if we're a little bit sticky if my horse has been a bit keen I'm on heels Um, I can shout the jockey in front of me to try and give me a little bit of room as in lay off, put the horse in front of him or uh, alleviate some pressure on the outside etc so yeah we would normally communicate uh, in every race more or less and I didn't hear a shout from Paul there was no shout Uh, in his evidence to the Stuarts he actually you know, and I don't know if we can access this information. But he felt I didn't do anything wrong, and I couldn't have done anything more. And he also admitted that he didn't give me a shout because he didn't. He felt that basically I, I was I was clear of him. Uh, it was only when he manoeuvred right uh, that he managed to clip my heels. Um, but I think the stewards, due to media pressure, feel like they need to clamp down on this thing, and uh, they've certainly gone out of their way to do so.
0: You've led in there to a big conversation, which is the media pressure. So Seymie Heffernan was hit with a very heavy ban in France. They knew he was going to have to quarantine for two weeks anyway, so it meant that he was a month off the track. He was racing in my local track in Goran. Uh, he went on TV with Kevin O'Ryan, and he was clearly in the heat of the moment, very, very agitated. And one of the the comments that a lot of racing fans took away was a negative one, which is, there are people who are writing about this who've never ridden a racehorse. And people were jumping on that comment. I would give him a pass on that because I think it's heat of the moment. He's clearly very annoyed. He's just been given a four-day ban. He's an experienced jockey. Uh, I think he's ridden in the last 12, if not 18, Irish derbies um and, and won quite a few of them. He's he's clearly ex- he's clearly very very frustrated with what with what's gone on. And he made uh, an overall point. This was riding a, a Tony Martin horse to victory. He said, "It's not win at all costs. It's win if you can." And that's what I took away from it. um yeah. I, I think it is important that people who have never ridden a racehorse, and I am one of them, I, I rode a show jumper or show jumpers, and I was. Piss poor at it, but aside from that, the vast majority of people who are supporters of racing or indeed who are owners of racing have never ridden a racehorse. It doesn't mean that we're not entitled to an opinion or, or a view on the sport. Do you feel that there is too much of media pressure on this particular subject right now?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's probably calmed down now uh, over the last fortnight or so. But I often I find uh, you know we have big whip debates every year, and then that disappears and now it's interference and. Then you know, I just feel like as a sport, uh, we do a lot of complaining. Uh, I'm not really into Formula One, etc. But you know, when you watch that on television, they don't go on about uh, silly things that just causing drama. Uh, and I know there's always a you know room for to better our sport or whatever. But I'd like to focus on the good things, which is brilliant horses, we have the high level of riders and trainers and you know, I know before I ever started riding, I absolutely love buying the racing post for their stable tours and then at the races on Racing TV and whatever, used to do stable tours of Paul Nichols's yard and Valley Doyle etc. Uh, that's what I really look forward to and there's very little of that and plenty of racing debate on topics that are as someone who's heavily involved in the sport is getting very bored of hearing because look uh, there is no doubt that the riders riding in Britain and Ireland due to their success abroad uh, can ride at a very high level and within any racing jurisdiction so really we must ask ourselves do we have uh, a major issue and I would say no, uh, there isn't, you know, we don't have an interference issue in Britain. Um, What is apparent is, um, particularly in Ireland and and France, because I've I've ridden there uh, plenty, uh, is you can cause interference in the early stages of race, i.e. you can squeeze other uh, horses up to get a slot, and it's not an interference issue it's never looked at by the Stuarts now that isn't the case in Britain uh, but a a small shift in the straight and uh, there's uproar like for example that Jamie Heffernan incident the move was very small um, and in my opinion it didn't warrant a four day ban I think he he got it reduced to three but uh, he he did a similar manoeuvre after going 400 yards out of the stalls it wouldn't even have been looked at so you know we must all, we must put things in perspective
0: to sum this up, do you feel that the rules as they stand are enough in racing that there there's enough of a deterrent, and that do you and your fellow weighing room colleagues feel that you are safe as jockeys with the interference rules that that are in place
2: absolutely yeah i mean, i i i uh, I've had one fall i think in in seven and a half years riding touchwood uh yeah, so I, I, I had my first race rides in May twenty thirteen. So, and that's due to my horse breaking down. Uh, I've never clipped heels in a race, thank God. Uh, so I think that's you know proves for itself that uh, we don't have a safety issue. You know, bearing in mind that I've I've ridden particularly over the last four seasons, I have probably ridden in more races than anyone else. Uh, in Europe anyway. Well, maybe Sumion or Budo have written similar numbers, but um, yeah, I've, I've, I haven't missed much anyway.
0: You've also, and you've alluded to this as well, you've written in 11 different jurisdictions over the last, it's now in more than 18 months since the statistics that are on my screen are in front of me. And yeah. Bar, there was an incident in June, but you appealed that and you won. So yeah. you were clean, You you had a clean record for over 18 months in 11 different jurisdictions until this comes along. And if we're totally honest about it, you're riding a two to nine favorite who wins, and the official description is, wins comfortably. It's not like you were causing interference. And I watched that back, and that's why we, we got talking. I watched that back so many times, and I couldn't justify, I couldn't understand where seven days came from. It just seemed like you were being picked on because of the current climate.
2: Yeah, and what was interesting, normally when you go into a Stuart's inquiry, uh, it lasts, you give it literally, it's two to five minutes uh, where you give your evidence and then you walk out and basically they've already made up their mind. Uh, They spent, I think, about 20 minutes deliberating and it was either going to be careless where I was going to get five days or more uh, because of the heels clipping um, or it was going to be accidental where I was going to get nothing. So clearly uh, there was three on the three Stuarts present. Clearly one of them uh, felt that the interference was accidental. Otherwise, it it should have been over uh, much quicker. And I stated my point uh, very nicely afterwards to them because literally it it went on so long, it was time for the next race, Uh, that, that I felt hard done by. And they were nearly apologetic. Now, that's all very kind and very nice, but how many group races am I going to miss uh, over a silly maiden at air where I didn't know interference had taken place until after the line, and you know I, I didn't need to cause interference to win. It's just very frustrating, and there's far greater things going on in the world, so I've just tried to put it to the back of my mind and focus on riding winners, but... Uh, it's difficult to just ignore us at the same at the same time.
0: I can completely see why you're frustrated, and, and I, I'm I'm with you on it. Did Paul say anything negative to you when you both pulled up?
2: He just um, pulling up. He came up to me, and he goes, uh, uh, "You did realise you wiped me out there?" I just said, "No, no idea, Paul." He goes, "Oh, don't worry about it. I, we should be fine." Um, that was that was kind of the the um, short conversation we had for those five strides Um, and and he was very kind in his evidence but yeah that's just the way it went
0: So the other thing that I wanted to ask you is would it be fair to say given the tight-knit bond that there is between jockeys in the weighing room that in a way you'd almost police yourselves because we have seen jockeys blow up on the international stage but also in in the UK 10-15 years ago at each other over yeah. something that's happened like Frankie Dettori for example took grave exception to the aforementioned Jamie Heffernan uh in in the QE2 when George Washington won he wasn't impressed with his tactics on Ivan Denisovich and he let the media know and and everybody who's at Ascot could see what went on that day uh, normally this would be done quietly but if if there was something that happened jockeys yeah. would surely say that to each other in the weighing room afterwards
2: yes yeah, yeah for sure for sure look um there's actually a very good group of riders, uh, who, you know, who I ride with daily. And the last, we don't need to be interfering with each other going around, you know, at, at, a, at a Salisbury on a Tuesday or a Thursday and a Wolverhampton on a Friday. Uh, it, there's just no need for so, us. Uh, and we're all friends. so, uh, So, yeah, there's... Good camaraderie, and it just doesn't happen uh, very much. That you know, the only times where there's interference, and often uh, it's due to large fields, is Ascot, Royal Ascot in particular, round course, 20 runners in those handicaps. Uh, it it's it's nearly always a rough race, and the interference takes place in the first half of the race, if that makes sense. Where particularly from the mile and a half, a mile and a quarter start, where. You're running downhill. Uh, everyone's trying to get a position, and the pace slows up in front, and then um, it gets quite tight. But on a on a daily basis, you know, racing is very smooth.
0: And the final thing to ask you on, on this is the appeals process. There's a seventy four percent success rate with with appeals. So, Rab Havland's appeal was upheld. Seventy four percent is is the official figure. Yeah. If we both agree that the rules are correct. Does that then mean that there is a problem with the stewards and that that is being indicated by the fact that when you go to the appeals process, and that's quite a long drawn out process, there's solicitors involved and, and legal mumbo jumbo thrown around, that the fact that appeals are are so successful that maybe there is a problem with the day-to-day stewarding?
2: I'm pleased you brought that up, but, um, but the reason the appeals are so successful, in my opinion, uh, is because... Rory McNeese, who represents most flat jockeys if they appeal will only appeal if he genuinely thinks uh there was an error made so I don't know how I don't know the exact numbers but I'm guessing I would say less than 1 in 10 uh uh suspensions goes to appeal if if that makes sense yeah. so the reason I didn't appeal the the air suspension was Rory felt that uh although he doesn't agree with them uh, that they just won't get away from the fact that j- the jockey behind me clipped heels and they would my my appeal would fail
0: Okay, it's interesting to get that clarification as well and, and to get that thought process on it uh, you have until Monday to keep riding and you're currently on 94 wins with William Buick and, and Tom Marquand chasing you down on 70 each and um, how how are you feeling about your defense of your title? Like it's it's a big thing to to take on to try and go and and retain that championship. And you were saying that you've probably probably ridden in more races than the vast majority of, of jockeys in Europe, with the exception of Christoph Soumyon, who we know is an animal. Uh, but but so are you. Four hundred and ninety eight rides this year, and that's that's just the UK. Um, you're really going gung ho for this
2: yeah like and then the international thing as well, I don't take any holidays I want to be involved in all all the big races everywhere but uh it's been very congested since racing returned and how lucky we are to to have got back so quickly uh other sports haven't been as fortunate, but I've ridden more races than I normally would even in that period uh because we've had longer cards you know nine and ten race cards uh. It's, it's great when things are going well but obviously confidence is high some days and then after you know I, I'm beaten on a few favourites or I wish I, I'd ridden a horse differently uh, then it, you have to just pick yourself up I mean Glorious Goodwood I had three winners there but it was a disaster uh, you know I had lots of hard luck stories every day but that's Glorious Goodwood I know what to expect every year again big fields you know you, sometimes you're lucky sometimes you're not but it's particularly noticeable at that meeting uh, if you're riding fancied horses how many hard luck stories there are and obviously I try and put that in the back of my mind but it's impossible it's, it's you can't ignore but I, I'm I'm pleased the way August has went uh, July wasn't a great month for me uh, statistically it was very poor, actually. And June was a, a great month, and hopefully I can pick myself up after this suspension in September. Um, I, if I go back to statistics, September is normally a strong month for me, and I'd like to I'd like to um, to try and keep the momentum going. Uh, I think William Buick has lots of nice maidens to come out. You know, often Newbury, Nottingham, Newmarket, those sort of meetings. You'd expect Charlie Appleby and William Haggis, who Tom Mark 1 rides her, uh, to to do very well in those sort of races. My my principal trainers are the likes of Andrew Balding, and we have a different type of horse who, you know, often they're a little bit immature at two, but they do very well at three. Uh, Dashing Willoughby and Coltrane are the prime example. So I mightn't do so well uh, in those sort of races, but hopefully I'll be able to pick up the pieces around that and, and get on some the Saeed's horses. Uh, and uh, and you know, obviously I write for, I'm lucky to ride for so many big trainers, but that's the sort of stuff my agent and I will be thinking about um, You know, going into the autumn.
0: We spoke on the show about a year ago, Vanessa Ryle, Tony Keenan and myself talking about how it would be great if jockeys embraced social media more uh, and were more engaging. And you've done that and you've been brilliant at that, but you've just given an example there of how hard you can be on yourself and that's something that you did after after the Derby. Uh, you were quite hard on yourself on on Comeco, and you were talking about how Emmett McNamara had, had stolen a march and everybody. Um, is that important to you to, to be able to talk to fans directly and, and express your own, your own views? Because when you're looking at elite sportsmen like yourself and champion jockeys, you tend to get people who are very bullish and, and very confident, and they don't show many, they don't show much questioning of their own ability. You're not questioning your ability, but you are questioning your rides a, a few times, and, and that's, that's
2: unique. Yeah, I suppose it's just how I feel and uh and uh you know even after I I just I'm straight up with trainers and I don't think due to that fact I've never really fallen out with a trainer. Uh, although we results don't always go the way I wanted. Uh I think most people are happy to put me up and that was just a stance I took as an apprentice, I suppose. Of Andrew gave me a few bollockings a couple of times <laughs> for rides and uh, and then to avert getting those bollockings uh, if I felt I gave a horse a, a poor ride I used to get in before he did and uh, and maybe that's uh, stuck with me and um, it's a lot easier just be up front rather than make up excuses like you know yeah I, I, that's just the way I feel and then it gives people an insight into why I might have made that decision in the race. And For example, uh, yesterday, uh, I thought I was riding with lots of confidence. Um, I didn't really have any instructions to follow, so I had an open book through the whole card. And Fiji uh, jumped slowly, and I thought the pace was solid for the first three or four furlongs and then we really slowed up. William Buick ended up winning the race. He controlled the race from the front uh, and I could have made some ground on the inside round the turn where everyone peeled off and, and uh, we still had four and a half rounds to go but I elected to come back and come back inside and like waste a length or so inside Joe Fanning's heels because in my view if I... Made a move and continued to kind of make ground on the outside at that stage, uh, I'd have got racing too soon and I wouldn't have finished. So I ended up getting on the back of Buick. And between the three and the one, I was still on the bridle and everyone else was off it. And I, I managed to make up ground without wasting too much energy. But uh, when I did eventually go for the horse, he walked and he didn't hit the line. For whatever reason, we're not quite sure, but uh, some people might have been perplexed. with why on the second favorite, I ended up giving the favorite so much ground. Well, that's the reason. And if anyone wanted that insight, well, there, there you go. You know, in a in a bigger race, I might have felt it necessary to to put that on Twitter or something. But obviously, yesterday was like a class three handicap. Uh, I'm not sure many people were interested, but that, there's a brief insight. Um, I don't want to bore anyone as to why I would do something like
0: that. I could listen to you talk about Class 5 and Class 3 races all day long when you speak about them like that, Oisín. Uh, talking about a horse of a much higher calibre, the 2000 Guineas winner and the Virgin Fraturity winner, Kameko. He's probably the best horse to finish fourth three times in a row now. And You were very hard on yourself and, and the Derby, and unnecessarily so in my view. He does hold an entry for the Irish Champion Stakes. Um, what did you make of his run in the Judmont and what is the current thinking with him?
2: Yeah, so even in the Judmont ah uh, i i he's very clever, he's m- more intelligent than most horses, and if you line up like kind of line his body up in the stalls to to jump really quickly like a sprinter, uh, I only have to think about it in my head and for whatever way he reads my body language then he really hits the gate like he did at Epsom uh, and like he did at Goodwood I mean he literally broke the gate in the Sussex Stakes he got away that quickly but at York I was keen to get him relaxed straight away and he responded to that and I had a lovely trip around but the ground wasn't fast and he was kind of not going as well as he normally would but between the three and the one I was able to kind of get away from Lord North who raced alongside me and I got in front of Magical who obviously doesn't need any introduction to your listeners Uh, and they're two world-class horses but I never got near Gaith and the last furlong, he walked he clearly didn't see out a strongly run mile and a quarter event. Now do I think on fast ground at Leopardstown he would stay a mile and a quarter? Absolutely. Uh, it, they, I think the track is made for him, but he's had two hard races in close, um, close proximity to each other, and I would say it's unlikely he would go to the Irish Champion Stakes at this stage, which, which is unfortunate. But we must take, think about the horse and and his best interest. Uh, he looks fine, but often. Day, because he's you know gorgeous looking, cold whose coat is always shining. Uh, your eye is drawn to that, and you forget about the fact that you don't have an easy race in these tough group ones. So, I would say he'd be trained for the QE2, and if the ground uh, was we we're really lucky and it came up good or just on the easy side of good, I would say he would take his chance. Uh, The Breeders' Cup mile would would be mentioned and certainly he could go there. But uh, Kentucky, uh, at that time of year, it tends to get quite wet. And Mm. again, it would be a long way to go when it's highly likely the horse would stay in training next year.
0: Which is good news. It's great that he's going to be back. And I guess in a way you almost yeah. have to because the season has been so truncated that you want to see these horses come back and that's something that Aidan O'Brien told us that all the three-year-olds are going to come back next year. Um, so it's, it's nice to hear that you're going to do the same with him. Um, yeah. For you then, for the end of the season, the mile is is the idea with him.
2: Yeah, he's shown enough pace. Look, we've always felt he would get a mile in a quarter. He may well get a mile and a quarter on very fast ground, but I think at the moment we need to focus on making him uh, as good a racehorse as he can be and, and, and in the immediate future that's certainly over a mile
0: Sheikh Fahad clearly has a good sense of humour seeing as he's called a horse lockdown one of his juveniles yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's a star by any means and he's been gelded um, but clearly a good sense of humour who else are you looking forward to from the Qatar racing angle to, to come for the rest of the season you've got the Learjet but who else is, is a horse that you're particularly excited about
2: Mahomes, um, he he's probably going to run in the next week or so. He has few and few entries. Uh, He's by Dubarry out of the Fugue. He's quite babyish, so he'll probably need his first run. But he's a gorgeous horse. Um, We have a Frankel out of Honorina, who's actually named, but he won't be ready to run for another month or so. So it's the Treasure Beach family who won an Irish Derby. He was just beaten in a. Um, English derby, uh, beaten on the line by Moi, So we've got him. Uh, we have a co-called Marine, who is by See the Stairs. Uh, he he looks really nice. Um, we have a on-race Lope de Vega at Andrews. These are all two-year-olds now. Uh, on-race Lope de Vega at Andrews, who's very nice as well. Uh, away from Qatar racing a filly called Alcohol Free who I won on at Newbury. She'll probably run in the Dick Pool Stakes at Salisbury on Thursday, but I can't ride her because I've got to ride timescale for Sheik Fad. I think she could be very good. I I hate jinxing horses, but I'd be very surprised if she wasn't up to group class. Uh, Yeah, so I'm really excited about them. Uh, King Vega should have won the Solario Stakes at Sandown. He jumped slow. He was really naughty in the stalls and Then I gave him a kick out because I knew he would stay further than seven. He's definitely going to stay a mile plus and he uh, over raced a little bit and I ended up getting inside heels and then Dobbsy was able to come round me round the turn and he got held in a little bit where when I wanted to make ground and it was just a nightmare. Look, the horse would have learned plenty but he should, he should have won that race. He's going to go for something like the Royal Lodge uh, which he be one of the favorites and I'll be disappointed if he didn't go close on that. Uh so yeah there I think there's five or six there that I'm I'm really um looking forward to.
0: That is absolutely fantastic and every single one of those horses must go into the The races tracker. Uh finally Yoshin, you're currently twenty four clear in the Jockeys Championship, but obviously the the week gap is going to be a problem for you. Uh, All due respect to William Buick, but hopefully the quarantine rules means that he will be able to ride in France and Ireland and that might hinder his his prospects. Uh, What would it mean to you to be champion jockey again?
2: Um, Yeah, it will be just a huge thing for myself and Qatar Racing and Andrew because it's hard work. Uh, I never, I don't think I enjoyed the process of it, uh, the up and down the country obviously every winner is like relief and I love riding nice horses but the pressure I put myself under to do it every day isn't that fun and like a treble yesterday most jockeys would you'd be buzzing off that but I'm just thinking oh, what, what rides do I have the next day and what rides obviously do the other boys have and you know I, I love seeing my friends win in group ones but um and that hasn't changed at all for William you know, but on a day-to-day basis, I feel like I need to be riding more winners than them um, and even if I was 44 clear, I would still be putting myself under the same pressure. So if I can get to the end of the season and, and um well clear then uh, it'll be very satisfying.
0: It's a similar mentality to Tony McCoy. Who also yep. had a big retainer and you know, obviously very good friends at Ruby Walsh and Barry Garrity, but was always focused on himself and focused on winning. It's a singular focus, and would be quite hard on himself too. Uh, yeah, and I know that you would have read his autobiography, and you, you've obviously met him, and and it's yeah. it's quite something to be able to have that kind of of attributes and and a similar personality to one of the greatest we've ever seen, uh, and I can only pay you the biggest compliment by by saying that to you.
2: Yeah, no, look, um, we're actually neighbours and I see him regularly. Uh, he's an absolute iron man. Uh, I I never appreciated it before I tried to put myself through something like what he's done, uh, what the mental strength it takes to, you know, if you have a bad week and you don't feel you're riding very well to keep going. And he did that for 20 odd years, so... I don't know where he found that inner strength, Uh, wherever he got it from. It's incredible. Uh, Yeah, I genuinely can't tell you how hard I think that is, Uh, but he he managed to do it. I, I won't be champion jockey 20 years running I guarantee you
0: that (laughs) never say never Oshin never say never I can be talking to you in 20 years 2040 on the final furlong podcast in some virtual technology about how you're about to be champion jockey again Uh, please God
2: touch wood we'll we'll give someone else a go we'll give definitely
0: <laughs> yourself Buick and Marquand at the top of the market again um, yeah. j- just before you go you've got a, a new colleague at Qatar Racing in, in Kieran Fallon Jr uh, there was a lot of talk over the weekend as to whether or not this is the right move for him I, I think it's a great move for him and um, I'm sure you're delighted to welcome him on board
2: yeah I, I'm thrilled uh, it, it- Shake Fadden, I spoke about, it, and I'll tell you why it'll be great. Uh, for him, firstly, he has now lost his claim. We've got the same agent, but to in order to get rides for um, John Gosden and Sir Michael Stout, uh, you really need to be retained by an owner because they have their own jockeys. There's Rab Havlin, uh, Martin Harley. And Frankie Dettori and obviously Kieran O'Neill and Nicky Mackay at Gossens, and then at Stouts as Ryan Moore and Louis Stewart, and then he, you know Sir Michael uses Jim Crowley, myself, uh, James Doyle. So Kieran would never get an opportunity to ride for those people. Uh, so automatically, he's going to get a chance to ride for them because we've got horses there and he can ride works there. So that will open more doors. And then from my point of view when we have a um, filly in a group three uh, who I don't think can win, but it's very important. She gets black type and Shigfad is very comfortable with him filling in for me. Then he can ride it and I can ride the favorite for Andrew, if that makes sense. or the favorite for Michael or the favorite for whoever that may be. And Shigfad is very comfortable with, with that situation. So, Um, and he can help me in the mornings by getting round and riding these maidens and you know we have probably 120 very well bred horses but as everyone is aware uh, at least half of them won't be very fast race horses so um, it it takes a bit of work getting round and identifying the slow ones and identifying the ones that might just be slow burners but they could get to a high level in time and Simple Verse was one of those she was very late, mature, but she ended up winning two Group Ones. So, um, I'm I'm pleased. He's I'm really, and I get on very well with him. Uh, he's based in Newmarket, I'm based in Lambeau and I don't see him every day, but it's a positive move.
0: That's a really great way of describing it and and explaining it to us. And also just to confirm, this then means that if there's a, a really fancy horse, for Andrew Balding, but an outsider for Qatar you could ride the Andrew Boulding horse and he could be riding the John Gosden horse for example for Qatar
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah. I mean Sheikh Fahad's left me off in the past but we didn't have a second jockey really to fill in and uh, you know Sheikh Fahad loves using Harry and Spencer Harry Bentley and Spencer and Andrea um, and Doyler uh, but it's we're not always at the same meeting and particularly on a Saturday there's five and six meetings it's unlike Ireland it, it you know it's it's hard to get the riders uh that shake fad wants to use and he's very happy to use Kieran, so um so, yeah, it's going to work for sure.
0: And it is the unspoken truth of racing that, uh, unfortunately, while apprentices can be given uh, huge amounts of limelight by the media, once that claim is gone, life can get very, very difficult for them. So you're spot on that uh, a retainership is, is a huge advantage for him. And just because he is a big name doesn't mean that it's going to continue, but he looks to be a very, very talented jockey and I hope that he's got a, a long and fruitful career ahead of him as I hope for you as well, Ashin. Final question for you, lockdown and the lack of crowds. How strange is that being a jockey and riding in big venues but no major crowds there to cheer you on?
2: Yeah, like I'll just put it in perspective. Uh, I rode an eight-timer at Tokyo in January and there was 60,000 people there just on a normal Saturday and then uh a couple of months later, I'm riding a royal Ascot, and there's no one there uh it's slightly <laughs> slightly surreal uh the buzz factor is missing a little bit, but i I appreciate good horses and I've said this before, but i'll I'll say it time and time again when I ride a nice horse in the morning, like for example Saturday morning, I rode alcohol free that's like riding a double uh a good one on a on a Friday. Uh, it's the same sort of feeling because I genuinely feel this horse can get to a high level. Was um, it's like riding winners and and you know riding a Ben Battle uh, in the morning at, on on gallops is is better than riding a four timer at, at Kempton. Um, I, I can I can ignore the fact that the crowds out there it might be a little bit more difficult for Frankie who who, who really um, is energised by, by screening fans
0: he loves to play to the crowd he really does um, um, <laughs> look we'll try and get you to do a flying dismount one of these days as well Oshin. it it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. to talk to you you are a fantastic ambassador for the sport for you you're somebody who is helping to get um, more fans to the game as well but being so engaging and I really appreciate your time for us and our listeners today thanks very much Ashin
2: no problem cheers Eric. thanks a lot will it happen or won't it happen you can bet on it with the betfair exchange Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong podcast.
0: Kate Tracy and Ryan McHugh from the Bedford Exchange join me now as we look back on the weekend's racing. We'll start at Goodwood with the Celebration Mile Stakes, the Group 2, which went to Century Dream, who ended up being well-backed. Uh, this was a nap for myself and Tom Bull on Thursday's preview show. <clears throat> we'll just get that in there uh, quick, <laughs> quickly. Thank you very much. Uh, I was very, very pleased with this, obviously, and... He was well-supported on the bet for exchange by the looks of things, Brian, and could very well now be a player in the QE2.
3: Yeah, he uh, BSP at 3.8 um, on Saturday Emmett. So as you mentioned, there was good support for him and I don't think there were any doubt up to straight. He uh, It was fairly easy for him. He won by four and a half lengths in the end, uh, travelled into the race well and quick and clear on ground. He clearly acts on. Um, he had a QE2 now was being considered and you'd have to give him a, a decent E2A chance in the race given the fact he was only beating three quarters of a length two seasons back by roaring line and I can fly um, on soft ground, you'd imagine that the ground will be will be on the slow side um, when we get around to that race, it usually is so the fact he does handle the ground is a big positive for him and he wasn't beaten far as I said in the race a couple of, couple of seasons back, he's some really good runs in the feed as well at Ascot which which will bode well so he, he clearly goes well around that track and outside of Palace Pier I suppose it looks a wide open race so at around the 16th one mark um, he's definitely won off the back of Saturday's victory that you'd be given a, giving a big life to in that race
0: yeah, no Mahathur, but O'Shean Murphy confirmed to us earlier on in the podcast that Kameko is an intended runner for the QE2. That's the plan with him, and then hopefully the Breeders' Cup miles of so both races live on Sky Sports Racing. What did you make of this performance from Century Dream, and is he a realistic QE2 contender, or is this just Dreamland stuff, Kate?
1: No, he is. He's very much a contender um, for for the places, I think. <laughs> Probably most, most importantly there, to be my caveat. <laughs> oh, but no, you couldn't you could fail to be impressed by his performance there at Goodwood. He was always going to have conditions in his favour. And we knew he was a horse who had always relished testing conditions, despite having form on faster ground. But most of his best form had been on softer And the run at Shanti and the Group 1 he faced coming into this race may have just exposed him in Group 1 company for all that the race tactic didn't really work out for him at all that day. But he was ridden much more positively on Saturday. We knew he would probably handle the track for his first run at Goodwood because we knew how well he had previously handled Epsom. So it's that old saying, isn't it, that if you can handle the configuration there over this trip, you can translate that to Goodwood and he's been freshened up for the race so another freshen up now before the QE2 should see him to optimal effect and evidently his chances there on Saturday were maximised by Ben Battle being a non-runner due to the ground but um, we know he's run well at Ascot in the past and, uh, as Ryan said, most notably in that 2018 QE2 to finish third by three-quarters of a length behind Roaring Lion on soft ground. And if there's one thing you can be fairly sure of, it's that British Champions Day will most likely come up soft, which evidently will very much play into Century Dream's strengths. And with Mahatha now retired, of course, that's opening up the debate for who's going to take on Palispaire and trying to fill that rival's void. And it's easy to make a case for this horse to run well there on the back of that wind up over the winter, which just seems to have seen such an an improvement in him, and um, and he didn't even win a race last year, so it, so, so he's had a market change with him, uh, but he's come back in the form of his life, and I still would be very disappointed though if he did manage to beat Palace Pier all the same, especially as Palace Pier proved himself on heavy ground last time out in Group One company and proper Group One company as well at Deauville so. To be honest, I think Century Dream will be in the mix, but I fear that there won't be much value to his name on the day if the ground does come up the way we're expecting it to. And I can't see him beating Palace Pier, especially as this was his first win above Group 3 level at the age of six. So I imagine him hitting the frame. Whether or not he's got the value there for me to be backing him each way is going to be another question for later down the line.
0: I think you've made some very interesting points there, Kate. and kind of sums him up really like he is going to be a player the soft ground will suit when the mud is flying he should be able to take a hand but if century dream is capable of beating palace Pierre, then something must have gone wrong with palace pierre he's not as good as we think mm-hmm. he is with all due respect to century dream uh, that performance in france last time out was just fantastic particularly when you were thinking well i certainly was that the wheels wouldn't spin on that ground not a bother to mm-hmm. him at all and you'd like to think that he'll be able to go there um what do you think of uh, Oshin Murphy's revelation that Kameko isn't going to be going for the Irish Champion Stakes nor the Champion Stakes? It's the QE2 is the plan.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really I'm, that's a, that's a new revelation there. So I'll be looking forward to listening back sort of the reasoning behind there. But um, I really like that plan, and I I do like everything that this um, horse has done this season. And and I know all the talk about Goodwood about how unlucky he was, and I think I think he gave his running in the international last time out as well, but. Yeah, so I, I don't fancy him to beat Palace Pier at all, but I, do, I don't I do think he's done masses wrong this season. But for all that I think that that guineas, the further we go down throughout the season, I don't now, looking back at it, think it was that good a race, really. So um, it's going to be interesting to see when Cameco does face Palace Pier. It's kind of, yeah, the rivalry that's going to be there. But at the same time, I still just can't see him beating Palace Pier.
0: All about Palace so That race will be live on Sky Sports Racing. Lots to look forward to. Isabella Giles was a very impressive winner of the juvenile race. She took a lead, but then basically just dominated in the soft ground for Clive Cox and Adam Kirby. And another horse who was put up by Roy DeLarge and another horse who was well-suited by the conditions as well. Um, How supported was she on the bet for exchange, Ryan?
3: She was actually weak enough um, close to the off. um, And unsurprisingly, the way the the, the race... um, Turned out, she went off three or four, 4, 4. on the on the Betfury exchange so three to one. Um, yeah, I suppose it was the first time she encountered cutting the ground and, and given her stars liking for it in the past, it wasn't really surprised to see her being able to handle it the best of the the small field that it was. And um, she's around a fifty to one chance now for the one thousand guineas off the back of that, suggesting that she need to improve plenty uh, more before being considered a real contender for that race. But they, they mentioned that the Rockfell is going to be our next tag, and mm. I think after Saturday anyway, connections will be open for plenty of rain um, before that race. She clearly copes very well with, with slow ground. Uh, I think that'll tell them a lot more. Um, the winning distance is a good one on Saturday. were fairly extreme so you just take the form maybe with a pinch of salt going forward. Um, she obviously won by, by uh, four and a half lengths in the end. So it was a really good performance on ground she clearly handled so I think they'll learn a little bit more in the on in, in, in the neck on her next start and from then on, we can uh, we can see how far she might
0: go. To be fair, she is three from four now. But how much further can she climb, Kate? Was this a case of she took advantage of this race and the way it fell apart, or can she actually climb a little bit higher?
1: No, I definitely think she can climb higher. I I, I actually um enjoyed her performance of this race. I thought we we were going into it so that the trip was always going to be likely to suit her. Um, following that four-foot askets where she was just keeping on all the way to the line over the six furlongs in the Group 3, having got outpaced. So the step-up seven furlongs here looked like it was always going to suit her. But even so, that was an especially... Um, <laughs> it, well, I don't know, significant performance that she managed to post, all things uh, considered. And she's by Bilardo, who was the sire of the two-year-old winning filly from the first race as well at Goodwood. And so she also handled the soft ground really well. And she evidently, Isabella Giles, relished the conditions over the one furlong trip. Uh, Extra trips. So she's uh, she has improved a lot to win this race for all that. As you say, the race did slightly fall apart with the favorite, uh, Pomelo just favoring the stand side rail. I don't actually think that that was necessarily the losing of the race for her, though. I think she just more didn't handle the conditions. And it was also a big ask for her to step into a group three on her only her second start after that impressive debut run. It was a massive ask for her. So for her to be sent off favorite, it was a bit kind of skewed really I thought and um, so I think it's a bit too soon to judge Harry Bentley because he favoured that rail because he won the previous day um, I can't remember the name of the- I'll call my bluff it was uh, by doing the same thing but the ground had cut up by then so maybe it wasn't the greatest of decisions after all and um, But yeah, she was rated 98 coming into this race, so now she'll easily be into the 100s. And as Ryan says, she looks set for the Group 2 Rockfell stakes at Newmarket now over the seven furlongs again. And hopefully, if this weather now continues, the ground conditions should be ideal there for her as well. Then I wouldn't be surprised if they put her away again for the winter, as she's done plenty now for her first season and can have a nice guineas campaign next season. So, um yeah i I did like everything about her performance, the way she went through her race, and she has taken her racing really well this season, so uh so no liked it a lot um the one who I did like though, who was uh back in second there when Prado, I thought she still looked really green, but I really liked the way she ran through the line, she stuck to the task well for all she was beaten the seven lengths by Isabella Giles, but that was just her second start, and physically she looks more of a three year old anyway so this will all have been a very good start to her career as a two-year-old and should, she should fare even better as a three-year-old next season. And plus she's beaten a 98-rated listed and group place horse home in a polar opposite conditions to what she had faced on her debut. So I liked her a lot moving forwards, probably into next season more so than anything. But I think um, she should have a, a bags more improvement than the fact that she's managed to post this level of her performance for all she was beaten a fair way by the winner, but on her, just her second start. So one one for the future, I think.
0: seven-linked win has to go down in the notebook. She's a daughter of Bellardo, Isabella Giles, who was a, a lock in winner and a Dewhurst winner as a juvenile. Now stands at Ballet Lynch Stud for not too much money either. And she was picked up for 45 grand. So well bought for the Roonies as racing still has them. Of course, we know that they're going to be stepping away from racing. Another big owner to leave. But uh, an impressive performance at the weekend, and whatever else she does this this season will be a bonus. But Kate Tracy definitely keeping her inside, as Prado as well, uh, who, should go, who should go into your at-the-races tracker. Let's talk about Subjectivist, who was disappointing in The Great Voltager. But if you can forgive that run, then this was really, really smart. He's bolted up. Uh, what was the market like for him? And also, has he been supported, Ryan, for the St. Ledger?
3: Yeah, he was very strong in the market, Emma uh, Obviously, he was only a small field, but he, he BSP at 2.14, so just all, over 11 to 10. Um, he won by 15 lengths, so it's a wide margin margin victory. He was matched at a high of 100 for the ledger, <clears throat> obviously, before Saturday. He's now trading at around 16.5. Um, so he's a, he's, a, he's a solid chance in the race. He seemed to uh, relish to step up to a mile and three quarters, um, but I don't think he can take that form of, of Saturday's win at face value, as I said, with Isabella Giles. I'd be just worried that... The conditions played a big part in, in some of them dis- winning distances. Uh, as regards to the ledger goes, he looks sure to run a solid race in, in that race, and I w- but I would be surprised if he was good enough to win it. Uh, obvious, he, he does seem to be improving. He's been beaten by plenty of horses on the day that are going to turn up in the ledger, and that would be a big worry for me, and the fact that he might not just be as good as them. It was obviously a new line of form he was running against on, on Saturday, beating Cabaleta and another couple of horses that probably aren't up to, to what he is. As I said, he is improving. It was a good, good victory. Um, but as regards the ledger goals, I um, I just have my doubts that, that there are better horses in that race than him.
0: What about you, Kate?
1: Yeah, very, very similar mindset, to be honest. I thought he had every right to go and win this race and win it well, because he's very closely related to the winner of this race last year in Sir Ron Priestley, also for Sir Mark, John- uh, Sir Mark, Johnson, for Mark Johnson. Wait, and has the did- Queen knighted <laughs> nice him? Has that happened? <laughs> I was in? just going to say. Did we not know? He- it's because I've been obsessed with watching The Crown. I've got into it because of you and now I'm just knighting everyone left, right and centre. It's really
0: What a show, <laughs> by the way. The new season coming out in only a couple of months as well, by the way. So get ready for a whole new season of another 10 episodes.
1: Oh, it is. It's very good. I, I would definitely recommend it. I'm just a annoyed that I've taken so long to get into it but um, yeah sorry aside from knighting everybody that, um Mark Johnson obviously knows exactly how to win this race and then Saron Priestley went on to finish second in the St. Ledger last year behind Logician, so all the evident signs are there for this lad to go and run a big race in the St. Ledger and Joe Fanning said after York on his penultimate start in the Great Voltager that he should have gone quicker on subjectivist over the one mile four and he cited that as the excuse for why he ran below par so he rode a much more more positively over a more suitable trip here of one mile six forced the issue got a breather into him when they swung into the home straight then continued that relentless gallop again to lengthen away as an easy winner Uh, but mark Johnston did say the only reason they even ran the horse in this race was because they were expecting a better showing in the great Voltager, which would then have allowed the time before the saint ledger because as he apparently needs time in between his runs but they had their hand kind of forced to go to goodwood and uh, they had planned to do a naf road from last year when uh, there was only a small field of runners for the race that uh, they had to run in it, though. So that's why subjectivists went here. So clearly, if the ground comes up soft in the St. Ledger, then that will be in his favour as he's an out-and-out stayer and the one-mile-six trip will evidently suit him perfectly. However, you do have to question the form of the race, as Ryan said, especially with there only being the four runners in it. And it just doesn't look to stack up in terms of this year's St. Ledger lineup and subjectivists will have to improve again. You would have thought to be turning the form around of power driver, mogul, Highland chief. So unfortunately I'm not going to be getting too carried away with this win, especially as this wasn't meant to be the plan and that he won't have as long a break between now and the St. Ledger as had been intended as well.
0: What about Ryan's point about potentially exacerbated wide margin victory due to the ground? <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that's a very live point as well. And that's another thing that you do definitely have to take into um, or have to factor in as well in in not getting carried away by wide margin victories when it's on soft and testing ground that has been run on as well the day before. So it was, um, for all visually, it does look so impressive, but it is true. But in saying that, with Isabella Giles, I was pretty taken with her though. And again, I will just be having that factor in at the back of my mind that it was on the soft ground, which may have exaggerated the win margin. But at the same time, I think that that would stand up in my mind that for more so than subjectivists.
0: Interesting. And if it's soft ground in the fell, she may very well be able to take full advantage of that. So we shall see how all of that plays out. Uh, at Kempton this Saturday, Enable's probably going to have her last ever run in the UK, which sounds like a strange thing to say, but it's almost certainly going to be her last ever run. It'll be the September 6th, the Group 3 is a prep for the arc. How excited are you for her run, Kate? And is she your idea of the arc winner or is it love in the air?
1: <laughs> I am very, very excited to see her. And I know that obviously yeah, connections colour dullah and John Gold were all-
0: <laughs> That was that was a much, that was an Emmett Kennedy pronunciation right there. At least I didn't like him
1: Call it Abdullah. Sir
0: Khaled, you call Yes, yeah, Sir Khaled. Sir, yeah,
1: exactly, Sir Khaled.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, take Lucky a, a boo son
1: if she goes and wins the arc they all should be knighted anyway including an able <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> everything to get a knighthood um, yeah I'm really really excited to see her then at the weekend and I know that they all got a bit of stick for not facing love prior but as you said I think Emmett that we should be grateful for the fact that she has even come back this season at all mm-hmm. and how sporting a gesture that was and that her sole aim has been to go back and try and win the arc again so um, yeah I'm happy that they've gone this route and then it just sets it up for the arc perfectly uh, but i in terms of the arc i just have so many factors to wait and see i think most notably the ground uh no arc for mishrith and Gaeth also looking likely to miss it and stick to one mile two and looking more likely to go for the champion stakes then after um after the irish champion stakes as well so i would have enable as the favorite is she's been there she's done it she'll handle the ground better than love should it come up soft and yet, she will have to. She will have to give love weight. But she's proven that she couldn't have impressed me more at Ascot. For all there are only the three runners, I, and I won't be using Sovereign and Japan as any form indicators as such. But the time was very good, and I know on initial reaction the time read even better because of the downpour of rain prior to the race. But the ground was still noted down as good to firm. But even so, with the extra six pound they're having to carry this season, with no strong pace from a large field of runners that it was a really good performance in my mind and as was her second to Gaith in the eclipse where all conditions were in his favor and she was only 80% tuned up uh, according to John Gosden so I hope all goes well at Kempton and then she continues to be overlooked in favor of love in the arc betting as we get closer uh the more it looks likely that this is going to be the fairy tale we all wanted to see so I'm still on team enable for all that i uh, evidently love love but um yeah but but it is still going to be enabled for me but um through that uh, uh the french horse there rabia is very very interesting and mm. Brian, did you have a price on her i missed that she's
3: a uh, 11.5 on the on the exchange
1: Actually, that's a big enough price isn't it yeah that that would be the one for me who's the biggest danger i've just got at the back of my mind i think her form um behind Fancy Blue was was top notch and some of the best and yeah and evidently as we know that you have to watch out for the three-year-old fillies in this race so she could just be the one who's the interesting value there.
0: Have you had a bet on the race Ryan?
3: Uh, I haven't yet Emma but I will be I completely agree with what Kate said I think Ben should be favourite myself personally um Love is currently 3.2 so just run a 9-4 and Enable's 4.1 on the bet exchange at the moment for the arc um yeah, I completely echo what Kate said. The, the big, re- the big reason for me why I think Enable should be favored, but there's two: the fact that she has been there and done it, as Kate mentioned, and the fact that Love hasn't beaten anything outside of, of her own age or sex. I think that's it's a, that's a big point to make that mm-hmm. she's obviously been very good this season. She's improved enormously from two to three, but until she does it against a horse outside of her age and sex, I, I can't have her favor to beat Enable, who, who's obviously won the race in the past twice So. Um I hope Enable everything goes smoothly for the weekend. I hope she she wins easy on the on route to the Ark. And you have to remember that there's only one race all season that John Gosling has trained Enable for. Obviously love is, is running running uh a, a Guinea's and a, and an oak. So although she's had like you're not you're not gonna get easier races than them, she's won by wide margins, but she's she's gonna have definitely tougher races going into the arc for the season um than Enable has. So uh, for me, I think Enable should be favoured, and I, I will be back in Enable. I'll probably have a small lay on Love, because as Kate said, it's probably not a dead match between the two of Rabina, and there's a few others in the race that on the table will have chances. So um, at the moment, I think Enable is definitely the value against Love. You have to remember as well, she went off 1-2 to two to win the race last year. I know there was no Love in, in the race, but there's, there's question marks over, over Love, I think, especially at the price she's at. Uh, as I said, racing outside of her own age and sex, I think, could be, could be her downfall.
0: Love is a very short price in general, across the board. I mean, whatever about the the bet for exchange, where you're going to get a bigger price. With bookmakers, she's a very, very short price. And look, if you want to back her, I'm not going to stop you. But the same as Ryan, I have the exact same concerns. And and it's a case of if you're not, if you weren't at the wedding, don't go to the funeral. I'm prepared to watch her win and celebrate her winning it, but I'm not going to be putting the readies down on her. Um, That being said, I don't know if I'll back an able either. I I have had a couple of bets in this race. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Victor Ladorum...
1: Oh, for goodness.
0: ...need to get the receipts and try and get a refund on that one, although I doubt very much the bookmakers would be willing to be that kind. Uh, And I backed Magical at 20 to 1 at the start of the season. I believe she's still, if not, a bigger price now. Ryan, is that right? She's 80 now, Emma. Oh, Jesus Christ. God
3: (laughs) almighty! I think... think I think you'll need to keep, look for them um, dockets as well and try and get your money back with her. I think you're
0: going to have to reload on the race, Emmett. Got the value there, didn't I? Got the value there. Oh, I'll back her at 20s. This'll be shrewd. 80s. Jesus. Um, I'm very, very intrigued by Fancy Blue. Very, very intrigued by Fancy Blue if she takes in the race. And I don't see why she wouldn't, seeing as she's out of a full sister to High Chaparral. And she's by deep impact. So I don't think a mile four will be a problem for it all. But her next run should be the Irish champion stakes where Jane Mangan gets her wish on this show. She demanded that Charlie Appleby run Reath in the Irish champion stakes. And he's going to. As long as he stays okay, he runs in the Irish champion stakes. Then Jane wants him to go for the Ark, which there's talk of. Then the English champion stakes. And then off to the Breeders' Cup. She doesn't ask ask for much, Jane. (laughs) She also wants the Japan Cup thrown in there too. And it could all happen. But the first leg of it begins uh, with the Irish champion stakes. There's a bit of a mess there because the quarantine rules in France and Ireland are up for change. But the problem is that you have to go into quarantine now if you want to compete on Sunday. And neither James Doyle nor William Buick, more importantly, have gone into quarantine, which means... Neither, under the existing rules, could partner Pinatubu in the Prix de Moulin on Sunday, which is a... It's not a complete disaster. They've got Miguel Barcelona, and they've got other jockeys that I'm sure will put their hands up and will be delighted to to ride Pinatubu. but they're trying to get confirmation on that, whether or not those rules can change. Those rules would also apply to Ireland, currently. They'd have to go in... One of them would have to go into quarantine to come over to Ireland to ride Reath, and that, of course, would be Buick, but bit of a mess for Charlie Appleby. We'll have to see how all of that plays out. O'Shean Murphy, I'm sure, will be delighted if William Buick goes into quarantine for a couple of weeks. Uh, That's at least one off the board in terms of uh, contenders to be worried about. Uh, Simple question for both of you. And Ryan, I'll ask you first, who wins the Betfair Sprint Cup?
3: Well, I don't think it's a race that I can do it in one word, but um, <laughs> at the moment I'd be siding with, with Dream of Dreams after uh, his romp in the in the Hungerford last time. Uh, it does look a really good renewal in a race, to be fair. It's, the, the fact it's 4 to 1 to field will tell you how tricky it is. There's, mm. there's reason you could give the fancy three or four in the race. Um, but as I said, I thought Dream of Dreams really, he was obviously really impressive last time to Hungerford. Um, and he'd be probably the one at this moment that I'd be siding with. Breathtaking luck finished second to him that day. Frank Deform yesterday at Deauville by winning the Group 3. Um, Oxstead is is four to one favourite currently with us at the moment. He's a fast improving sprinter, but he goes into this as favourite after winning the July Cup. So at the prices, I'd probably take Dream of Dreams. Um, he's more of an each way price than Oxstead is, and I, I'd have him. I'd have him at this moment.
0: Have you had a bet in the race?
3: I haven't. No. Um, I may well do, but I'd imagine I would wait till Saturday to see what what way the ground is and that before I before I get involved. But yeah, I, the, the ground should suit Dream of Dreams either way. I think he, he's versatile enough. So.
0: I'm trying to get Ryan to do more anti-post betting and I can't quite get him there yet, but we'll, we'll do it. I'll persuade him eventually. Kate, who wins the Betfair Sprint Cup on Saturday?
1: You, you're determined to get the one-word answer out of me. <laughs> I can't do it either, <laughs> unfortunately. But, um, well, yeah, first and foremost, I love the chances of Oxford, um, but evidently the market is, uh, is speaking that itself. So uh, I just trust every bit of placing the Teals have done with him and is winning the July Cup. And he shouldn't mind the conditions. I either as a Sire Mason won the July Cup in a bog, so hopefully, although Oxford has only faced off conditions on his debut where he was fifth. He won't be too hindered by the rain. That's forecast for Haydock on Wednesday and Thursday. And to be fair, my phone uh, weather always seems to get it wrong. So that could well be completely skewed anyway. Um, uh, He's just a real fast, tough horse. He's proven himself against the top sprinters around, bested his Abernock form in the July Cup clearly and showing himself to be a really class act. And the right horses were in behind him at Newmarket too. So it's just no fluke about the win at all. The race was running a brilliant time too, being fast by 0.41 seconds off the standard and not far off the track record at all. And as I was saying previously, with the extra jockey allowance this season, that, that's a mighty performance. Uh, so I understand why his favourite will probably go off favourite, but he's had a good time out now to freshen up for this race after they bypassed the pre-Maurice de geese with him, not wanting to travel in the heatwave that was present at that time. And they didn't want to take on Batash just yet in a Nunthorpe either. So... Um, I like everything about his chances here, but I do also really like Glenn Shields' chances after his winning the. Phoenix no!
2: Cover. No! No! Oh yes! Stealing my work!
1: <laughs> I can only apologise, but I'm also not that sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry, not sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it would be class, though, wouldn't it? To be fair, at least we're all on the same bandwagon for Hollydale to get her first Group One winner in her first Group One ride in this country, and she has a really life chance as well because I just think Glenn Shield has really appreciated a drop back six furlongs. He goes on any ground and any surface and can be ridden in whichever way. And I know the Watson team think the world of this horse because he's just such a dude at home and has the talent to boot as well. So this will be a market step up for him into Group One company, but I think he's very much earned his place. And it would be no surprise at all to me to see him hit the frame at, hopefully, a nice each way price with Holly Doyle books. Uh, But I can see that price contracting at the off for all. We won't have people on course to still be making any that that kind of real significant inroads into the price. But at the same time, with the way Holly's been going at the minute that I'm fearful that that price is only going to contract nearer the off.
0: What is the current price, Ryan?
3: Of Glensheel, is it?
0: Yeah.
1: Mm, Yeah.
3: Um, I'm just looking at the market now. Um, oh, yes, yeah,
1: so I like a squirrel.
3: That's always a good sign. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you, but I can't. can't keep going on.
0: down. Keep Wonderful. going down to the <laughs> screen. Wonderful. One of the reasons why I like this horse so much is Lope <laughs> Fernandez, his third favourite. Come off the stage. <laughs> um, he, look, he's a good horse on his, on his day. And obviously 16 brings, to 1. 16 to 1. Glen Shale. Apologies, I couldn't find it. Boom. Uh-huh. So, these, this lot keep beating each other. And, and for that reason, I'll happily go with the horse at a decent price. And he's, he was very, very good in Newcastle on the all-weather. He was really game and gutsy at the Curra. Um, that was a fine run in Deauville. And uh, again, a brilliant run to go and win in, in Newcastle on the all-weather back in June as well. I'm more than happy to go with him. And as you said, Holly Doyle's first Group 1 ride in the UK will hopefully be a winner, seeing as she's winning on everything else. So, yeah, she's in tremendous form, and um, I'm more than happy to go with him. I, I respect Oxted. You can make a very good case for Dream of Dreams. Hello, Zane's a genuine group one horse has won this race before, but Glenn Shield, thanks very much. It's 16 to 1. We'll take that and try and post up in the for Exchange and do a little bit better. Um, Holly Doyle. We must touch on her. So yesterday, uh, Frankie Dettori on Sky Sports Racing and at the races is full of praise for her today, and rightly so. The first woman to ever ride five winners in one day, let alone at one racetrack. Um, it's not really about her gender, though. She's an absolutely superb jockey and one of the very best in the weighing room, and that's reflected in the jockeys' championship table as well. She's currently the fifth best jockey based on the title. Uh, right now she's just going from strength to strength and you would imagine that the fruits of her labor will continue to be rewarded because she's tactically so adept she wrote her rivals to sleep with that five-timer at Windsor she's just exceptionally good Kate she really is and
1: I've said it before on this show that it is no fluke at all as to why Holly is so good and that uh, the lads have commented a few times now that they don't want to they, they don't want to time it to go down to Oxy house when she's the hair in the gym because she puts most of them to shame with her strength and fitness levels and every chance she gets she's down at Oxy training on her fitness and um uh Kieron has said from riding out every day with her Archie Watsons over the summer that she's just a naturally such a gifted rider and and such a naturally gifted horse person who is um Yeah, he was just as hardy as they come. And he said that, you know, even one day they were still training a few of the juveniles there during lockdown and one reared over on her. And uh, she never batted an eyelid, got back up, gave the horse a telling off, and then got (laughs) right back on and did it again with the horse not putting a foot wrong, funnily enough. And uh, and I saw it even this season. I think it was a mighty Gurker uh, before his win at Lingfield. He all but reared over, threw Holly off, and she just got back on like nothing had happened and ran out an easy winner. So it really is no fluke at all that um that she's achieving all that she is because um and she's not even doing it just from a retained trainer because she's been cleaning up everything because although, um, who, who has been cleaning up everything because although Archie's horses continue to run well, she's been riding for all different trainers and she's been getting the same results for each of them as well, making her the common denominator in the success. So she can be a champion jockey one day and one a day that will be for the sport. And she's just a great ambassador for racing to showcase. So yeah, no fluke in and long may it continue.
0: Well said. Could you imagine if the BHA had done what the French racing authorities did and they gave a weight allowance to female jockeys, it would completely detract from Holly Doyle and also from Rachel Blackmore's success. Because okay. people would immediately go, there would be certain, some people who would be going, ah, they're only winning because they're getting that five pound allowance. It would totally detract from, from them. Thank God the BHA did not listen to the calls for that because it would have been a complete disaster. And this is... Look, you can mention show jumping all you want. Show jumping is nowhere near as high profile as horse racing. Horse racing is the only sport where men and women compete equally as trainers and jockeys. And she is crushing it. And so is Rachel Blackmore. And so is Briony Frost. And it's fantastic to see. And long may it continue. And just imagine how many more are going to be inspired. How many young women have already been inspired by the exploits of Nina Carberry and Katie Walsh and Josephine Gordon. And now they're seeing Holly Doyle do this and Rachel Blackmore succeed. They're going to want more. So it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant and long may it continue. Uh, runners from the weekend who have gone into your At The Race's tracker. Let's go Ryan, first of all.
3: Uh, there's one on Friday evening, emmet um, that caught my eye in the cur in the last race. Um, the horse is called Charzando, trained by Dennis Hogan. He was only having his third run the handicap, but he was supported in the market prior to the race, and he ran a really encouraging race under the very good Sam Ewing. Uh, he claims £10. I think he's a free £10 claim at the moment. He rode lo- lots of at pony racing, and looks, uh, he looks had another really good uh, young talent coming through the ranks of the flat, flat in Ireland. Uh, the horse finished fourth, but he did miss the break at the start if you watch it back, and he wasn't given too hard a time of things when, when um, his winning chance was gone inside the last four and a half, so... There should be more to come from him, and I think one of these 45 to 65s or 50 to 70 handicaps uh, should be well within his grasp. And I'd imagine maybe the next time, uh, the next time he runs, he, he could take a bit of beating.
0: kay Tracy
1: yeah so well aside from Prada, who I mentioned earlier is a potentially nice three-year-old for next season um, and also uh, Sabuska, actually who I think will be very interesting wherever he goes next as Connections have said they really want to get a win out of him before turning him away for the winter and so want to find a drop-in class for him back to a listed or group three contest and he looks up because he just looks too highly rated now for another handicap on um, uh, well he was rated 111 there prior to the weekend so wherever he goes next Provided it's in a group three or listed race, then although it's probably unlikely he'll be any sort of a price, though, for how consistent he's been this season, you'd have to have him down to sign off the year with a win. So uh, he will be going in wherever he'll rock up. Um, Or I don't know, maybe they'll take their chances with him in the QE2 as well. He could he could be a big enough price for that. Um, which would definitely tempt me as it will be far more suited to how the QE2 is usually run with a larger field than this year's Celebration Mile and he's already proven his liking for the handling of one mile at Ascot uh, in winning at Royal Ascot so if he went there I'd also be interested in him for hopefully some each way play Uh, but there was another horse I wanted to put in there was a handicapper to follow for the remainder of the season and a horse who will be able to deal with the soft conditions we're most likely to get as well and that horse is Milltown Star from the Mick shannon yard who was coming into the goodwood handicap on the back of a nine-month absence but he had previously shown very good two-year-old form on soft and heavy ground last year over seven furlongs including a listed race at shanty on his final start which he won and he'd been gelded over the winter and that was um uh, and then he was dropped out at goodwood there on saturday and then finished nicely to finish fourth beaten one and a half lengths Uh, He can come on again from that return effort and will be one for soft ground handicaps as he's unlikely to have gone up much for that run. That was uh, on the Saturday behind Cold Stare and Magical Wish, he finished fourth in that race. So we'll enjoy the conditions, won't go up too much in my handicap, we'll come on from that run and it was a pleasing enough effort for his first start as a three year old as well. So Milltown star that is.
0: Another horse for your at the races tracker. I've got a bet for you as well. I've thought long and hard about this, and <laughs> I, I will say that I've put my money where my mouth is. Now, bear in mind that there's already money completely wasted and thrown away on Victor and probably Magical <laughs> in the Ark. I'm not entirely sure how, how good this is, but this is months of research. Ever since lockdown began, I've been doing a deep dive and I've come to a conclusion. Oh, no. In November, there can be only one winner. Donald Trump is going to get four more years. And if he's going to win four more years, you better be on that Trump train. (laughs) Team Trump, baby! The greatest president of all time! Anything above even money is a gift get stuck into the Trump train and we'll see you all in Dubai. It's too easy. It's easy money. Joe Biden is not there. The man just isn't there. It's sad to see. And if he debates him, he'll rip him a new one. Kate, have you been watching American Politics lately?
1: I have, I have, and I actually had an interest. Read an interesting article earlier on about the uh, betting behind Ivanka Trump taking on Meghan Markle for the 2024 election. But that's that was another story I was going to uh, talk to you about. But yeah, no, I have been watching little bits here and there.
0: <laughs> New York is a war zone. So is Portland and Chicago and California. And I here's here's a real bet for you: back Donald Trump to win New York. Back the Republicans to win New York. Because there's so many people have left New York. And yeah, I know there's mail-in voting and all that kind of stuff. But there's so many people have left New York and it's in such a dire state of affairs that they're going to rebel against the Democrats. And if if you're listening to news outlets who are telling you, oh, it's all Trump's fault. Look, Trump is a, he's a clown. Let's be honest about it. I'm only doing this because I want to make money. And I see, I really see, uh, uh, for all that I'm going to rise people up, I, I see a real Rick here. There's no way Biden should be favorite. Trump is ahead in a number of the polls, but also the Democrats run New York. Uh, They're in control of California as well. They're in control of Chicago. These cities are destroyed. Uh, The economies are in bits, and I think people are going to rebel, and Trump is going to get another four years. Here's a question for you, Kay Tracy. What was best, the American economy under Obama at its best or the American economy under Trump at its best?
1: I'm not going to like the answer to this, so I'll go with the latter.
0: Donald J. Trump oh. keep America great again
1: <laughs> so this is your nap of the year oh, of November when, when, you, when, you said,
3: when you said you had one we you've been winner first November Emma, I was about to mark one down for the Great Wood <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we can roll all the Donald Trump winnings then onto the Great Wood as well um, <laughs> I, I, seriously look American politics is an absolute farce, and uh, I would be on the left in Ireland and the UK, but I'd be nowhere near the left in America. It's a disaster over there. And look, we may as well try and enjoy it as best we can. I'm not going to be wearing a MAGA hat, but I am going to be backing Donald Trump even some more. Uh, big story emerged last night, Delia Bushell's troubled tenure, to quote the ORP in Lee said, excellent article, at the head of the jockey club has ended in sensational circumstances after an independent barrister upheld allegations centered around the bullying of colleagues, the use of racist comments, and the sharing of offensive material. I believe we've got a line from uh, Delia, is that correct? Where are you? Let's be having you! That's not the deal I was thinking of. That's that's a very different dealia. Um You kind of have to laugh because this is... God, this is depressing. Having held one of British racing's most powerful positions for less than a year, Bushell has left the sport following a determination by the trio of the jockey club's leading figures that there were grounds for disciplinary action due to gross misconduct. Bushell tendered her resignation on lunchtime yesterday, that Sunday, and put forward an extraordinary defence of her behaviour having been told earlier this week that the Jockey Club's Board of Stewards had decided to dismiss her from the organisation. In a stinging attack to the stewards, which was reproduced in full in Lee's article, Bushell spoke of collusion by a number of male witnesses, all senior executives in the Jockey Club, and said, this grievance process and the management of the broader situation created by it have been fundamentally mishandled by the Board of Stewards. The board's engagement with me has been disingenuous and focused on protecting its own interests at my expense. The board purports to be upholding fairness in its management of the grievance, but this has not been the case. The process followed was both flawed and biased." She went on to have a go at the solicitor who was in charge of this as well, saying that the lawyer was also biased. This thing is an absolute mess. Kate, have you had a chance to to read this and, and to go through what's come out of all this?
1: Yes, I have. Um, it doesn't, not that it makes any more sense, the fact that I have, because it's just all oh, very bizarre, isn't it? I have no idea who's in the wrong from the stories we currently have um, in the race post and it's for Telegraph as well. Uh, and I wouldn't I won't say wouldn't say that this will be the last we'll hear of this story either. And no way. I wonder if by, by reading Delia Bushell's letter, if she feels she has a case to claim for wrongful dismissal. And either way, I'd say there'll be more fireworks to come from this story. However, if the claims are true on bullying and racist comments, they'll have to come out publicly if this does go to litigation. And if true, is that something that Delia Bushell will want in the public domain to add to her already now very public dismissal and accusations of bullying? And I thought it was very interesting reading her letter that she stated she had been asked to shake up kind of the status quo that Mm. she had been advised. If she did ruffle some feathers, then she'd be doing a good job. And we should also point out that she was cleared of 15 of the 22 allegations of misconduct, but not the six that were upheld by the independent barrister. So what those six allegations are, I don't know, but they might well come out if this is taken further. But either way, with this story, neither party have come out looking well. And the resignation resignation letter only plays into the old stereotype of that of, of those at the head of the jockey club are widely considered by many to be uh, resistant to change and challenge. So it's it's not a positive story in any light. And as you say, uh, or as I was just previously mentioning there that I highly doubt this will be the last we hear of it, but which way it goes now is um, yeah, open to a lot of question.
0: This story shakes the very foundations of racing. Several witnesses contacted me to express their concerns about the barrister's lack of impartiality and their impression that the line of questioning was designed to achieve a popular outcome. They suggested that the process appeared to be deeply unpleasant a deeply unpleasant stitch-up and advised that I walk away from the jockey club immediately. That's part of Delia Bushell's statement. The problem with all of this is, though, if you feel you have a case for wrongful termination, why would you resign? Mm. Surely you let them terminate you because you feel you'll be able to stand up then and say, right, and now I'm going to come get you. Not pleasant, and definitely not the end of it either. It will... It will rage on for quite some time, this one, I suspect, and hang over the jockey club like a very, very, very bad smell. But this is, this is a mess. And Delia Bushel was removed from the negotiation process. I think she had to step aside from that. And it was after that, that the ITV deal was done. Now, whether or not she was trying to get more money or there was a perceived bias because she worked with BT and Sky. I don't know, but it was very strange that she stepped aside from that, and then this emerges, and now she's gone. It's a mess. It's a complete and total mess, and all we can do is sit back and wait and see. But well done, Tillimato said, for excellent, excellent work in the RP. Credit where it's due. But bombs. Bombs all over the place in racing. Uh, we'll end on a on a brighter note, shall we? Jim Crowley. His two thousand career winner at Goodwood, to quote our friend Chris Cook, who's back on the show on Monday. Things are looking up for Jim Crowley since he fell at the first fence in the Grand National, one hundred and fifty to one shot, <laughs> nineteen <laughs> years ago, back in nineteen Dickety Do. Uh, Ryan, he's a fantastic jockey, and this has been an incredible season for him.
3: Yeah, brilliant season. He obviously had a great Royal Ascot, a great Ebor meeting, and I think that probably caps the season off from riding his two thousand winner. Um, He's just a really, really solid jockey. Uh, He's always seemed to be in the right place on horses and I suppose since becoming champion jockey, he then got the job for Sheikh Hamdan and things really started to roll down with him being associated obviously last couple of seasons with the likes of Batash and just riding much better quality horses on a day-to-day basis. Um, It's obviously one of the top jobs in in Britain, the Hamdan job and the quality of horse he's riding compared to probably the season he was champion jockey or the few seasons before that has just gone up and up and... Um, yeah, being look when he looks back at his career, being associated with horses that he has been in the last few seasons. Um, yeah, I suppose as I said, the likes of Patashin, that it's his career has just gone in, in, in one trajectory since since he um, turned to be to be a flat jockey. I think whatever, well, fourteen years ago now or something yeah.
0: like that. So. and it is quite remarkable, Case, yeah, so. that the jockeys, you know, like he's he's started out as a jump jockey that was obviously his dream. It didn't quite go for him, so he decided to switch to the flat. He's become champion jockey. He's got one of the biggest jobs in the sport. And this has been, to quote Jerry Hannon, a season of all seasons.
1: <laughs> it has been yeah as you say what what a season for him to achieve this feat in with a fanta- fantastic Royal Ascot Patash having a wonderful time of things this season and getting his King's Stand win and then for Mohatha to win the Sussex Stakes so it is so interesting to remember him now as a jump jockey and it was interesting when I was reading the story earlier of um Uh, of the other jockeys who have uh, had this feat that um, it's only Frankie de Tori I've lost it now Uh, that was the only one who had never ridden a winner over jumps when you look down completely gone now Uh, yeah but it it was so interesting seeing that and what a brilliant career he's had and he's riding better than ever so this achievement isn't likely to end here
0: no hopefully there'll be plenty more success for him and hopefully plenty more success with Patash as well who of course is a gelding and so can race on for many more years to come. Um, Sad news during the weekend. This one actually knocked me for six. It's it's strange whenever you hear about a celebrity passing away that it can affect you. But this one actually made me sit down and felt like a punch to the gut. 43 years of age and Chadwick Boseman is gone. Um, He was Black Panther. But what really is, what really stands out about it is that for four years, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he played Black Panther in Captain America Civil War, in Black Panther itself, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. He was brilliant in all four. He's also in a film called 21 Bridges, which if you haven't seen yet, is a it's a cop drama. It's really good. And he's excellent in that. But for four years, while making those Marvel films and while making 21 Bridges, he had cancer. And he never told anybody except his family. His, his own colleagues on screen didn't know. Um, And I don't know how he did that. I have no idea how he was in such shape and was able to have the energy that he had on screen and was able to command the screen in the way that he did. And he just seems to have been an incredibly kind person as well. Um, If you're a Marvel fan like me, you know that that universe is changing, but there's so much excitement and he was going to be at the front and centre of it. Um, Terrible loss. A terrible, terrible loss. God rest him. and. If you are fighting cancer, it's a disease I know all too well. I hope that your battle is going well and try and and find strength. The fact that he was able to make those films somehow while going through stage three colon cancer is astonishing. And it's um, it's a lesson to all of us to be able to do better and to look at the world in a better way. Uh, TV shows that we're watching. Kate, you mentioned The Crown. What else are you watching right now?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just The Crown on repeat, really. And there's a new, um, uh, or oh, there's a new Tottenham Hotspur documentary coming out on Amazon Prime. So I think it's similar to Drive to Survive and all of the previous ones. So definitely be getting stuck into that as well.
0: All or nothing. Spoiler alert: it's nothing because Tottenham are rubbish. <laughs> Sorry. (laughs)
1: Sorry. I I know, they chose a perfect season, didn't they?
0: (laughs) All or nothing. Nothing. Uh, No, I'm looking forward to seeing Jose behind the scenes at Tottenham. It it does look good. Um, I didn't like the Man City one, but this one looks good. Uh, Ryan, any TV shows on the horizon for you? Uh,
3: I'm on the third episode of The Fall, so I'll probably give that another couple of episodes. It's a bit weird, but. um, Ooh, yeah, I heard about that.
1: That's meant to be good.
3: I've been been told to stick with it, so that's what I'll
0: do. I didn't like The Fall. (laughs) I didn't like it, but see how you get on with it. Uh, I went to see Tenant on Friday. It's really good. It's really, really good. John David Washington is absolutely brilliant in the lead role. If you like Christopher Nolan films, if you liked Inception, yeah. you'll love this. I definitely want to see it again. <laughs> I definitely want to see it again, but it's it's really, really good. And it was just nice to be in a cinema. Um, and also, Gamora. I don't know if you've ever watched Gamora. It's an Italian mafia crime drama. It is superb. It's available on Sky Atlantic, all episodes right now. I've just started season four. I don't know why I didn't start it before uh, because I love the first three seasons, but it kicks off brilliantly and uh, I highly recommend it. If you're okay reading subtitles, then check out Gamora, which is superb. That's it from Ryan McHugh.
3: Cheers, Emmett. Thanks, Kate.
0: Kate Tracy is back with us on Thursday alongside Roy DeLarge as we look ahead to the best bets for the weekend after Tom Bull and Roy DeLarge knocked it out of the park. No pressure Thursday, Kate.
1: <laughs> yeah, not feeling the pressure at all. No, I really enjoyed this, guys. Thanks so much and yeah, speak to you again on Thursday.
0: Uh, thank you very much for making the final front podcast number one in the UK podcast charts. That means a huge amount and thank you and well done to our competition winners. Paul, who must be a Crystal Palace fan, uh, at CPFC. Patriot, <laughs> you've got it. And Chris O'Gorman, at Chris O'Gorman 1, not to be confused with Chris O'Gorman 2, you also win a Final Forum Podcast mug, and both of you become members of the Final Forum Podcast mug club. The answer to the question, I'll ask you both now, who was the Air Force Blue who won for Aiden O'Brien last Sunday week? Kate?
1: But, uh, uh, Chief Little Hawk.
0: Well done. Chief Little Hawk. Uh, Chris O'Gorman says is no mug of a horse we nice pun uh, Paul and Chris will get your addresses and the final furlong podcast mugs which will be personalised will be sent out to you very very soon we'll chat to you all again on Thursday hope you enjoyed the show thanks very much to Oshie and Murphy to Ryan and to Kate we'll chat to you Thursday have a great week God bless will it happen or won't it happen you can bet on it with the Betfair
2: Exchange proud sponsors of the final furlong podcast
1: have you downloaded the free At the races app yet With easy to use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile,
2: visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.